We are in Genesis. In Genesis, you guys know it's so foundational to our faith. Some of you guys ask, why are you sitting at a table? Why this every other week thing when you're preaching Romans, you're up and you get a little excited. And I, I want to teach through Genesis with you guys because it is so foundational to our faith. I want us to get it right. Uh, very important. So I want more of a teaching setting. Okay, Has this been fun? I like sitting. I love your faces. I love you guys. You're awesome. Uh, we're just going to jump in. There's some other things I want to talk about, but we're going to get into the Word. Father, thank you for uh, just the time that you've allowed us uh, just in this season to partake of uh, some very foundational books as we've been studying through Genesis and Romans. I know it is good for our souls, our being, our walks with you, Jesus. We want to pray once again uh, that you would open up our hearts, that you give us understanding, um, be open is uh, we've already considered your ways are not ours. You are so much wiser, and your ways are so much higher than ours. Uh, we want to we wanna walk by faith, want to trust you, look to you. And uh, now, Father, as we look to your word once again here in Genesis, uh, teach us. We want to hear from you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So last time we had Adam and Eve. They had eaten of the forbidden fruit. And they were forbidden to enjoy the garden and the delights that were there that God had for them. They were driven out into the world to fend for themselves among the thorns and the thistles. They were to grow their own food. And eventually, they would return to the dust from which they came. So with the sin of Adam and Eve... Both the first family and all their descendants were sentenced to live in a fallen world. Aren't you guys glad we're not doing that right now? Oh, boy. Anyways, the struggles of what we face today all began right here in Genesis chapter 4. So let's take a look. Now, Adam knew his wife, and they conceived, and they bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. You see, there's a more literal uh, translation to this from the Hebrew text. The Schofield Bible puts it this way, I have gotten a man, even Jehovah. Now, if we recall back in chapter 3, verse 15, guys, God promised a Savior would come through the woman, right? So Eve, maybe here, thought that this was the promise of the Savior, okay? I'm having a son. Here he is. Um, and she would call him Cain, which means acquired. So I think that was probably what they were thinking. She believed she had acquired God's promise, but the impression, it didn't last long, did it? As soon as she got the baby home from the hospital, the illusion was shattered because Cain was a pain, okay? Every baby, like all babies, right? Uh, self-willed, selfish, little temper tantrums. Like, that's reality, right? Um, so Eve realized that Cain had come into the world as self-centered as she and Adam had become. So guys, heredity is a problem. Um, I got all this hair on the top of my head from my dad, and I've gotten this rebellious nature from Grandpa Adam, and we all share in that. So the old saying is true, one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch. You see, Adam ate a bad apple, became a bad apple, and his 
family tree is filled with what? A whole bunch of bad apples, right? So Eve had a second son, we're told. Catch this. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. So Cain wasn't a savior. He was a brat. And slowly, Eve became painfully aware of the implications of her sin, not only for her family, but the entire human race. So her despair was seen in the next choice of name. Okay, She chooses Abel, which means vanity. So verse 2, now Abel was the keeper of the sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel's offering, and he did not respect Cain in his offering. Um, Once, a church in Minnesota, uh, they published a newsletter that contained an embarrassing blooper. And I have to share it with you guys because I thought it was pretty funny in light of Genesis here. It read, Bible study in Genesis were Adam and Eve really naked in the garden. Come and see for yourselves. <laughs> Whoops. But it is true. As we studied last time, Adam and Eve were naked until they tried to cover their sin by sewing fig leaves together. So they fig erred wrong. Did you guys? Yeah, you got it. Awesome. So our redemption, guys, it's, it, it involves more than a turning of a new leaf, okay? Human effort, our good works and charitable deeds, um, our religious rituals that we have, it's never enough to blot out our sin. Do you guys get that? We can't do it. It's never going to be good enough to satisfy a holy God. So God insists on sacrifice. The wages of sin is death. So God killed an innocent animal and covered Adam and Eve with fur coats. And I'm sure their two sons were privy to this background. So when Cain and Abel come to offer their sacrifices, they were aware of the truths that we find in Leviticus 17.11, that it's in the blood. That's what makes the atonement for our sin. So Abel, uh, the shepherd, he sacrifices a lamb that God accepts. But Cain, he was a farmer, and he lays at the altar horn plenty, okay? Look at all of this stuff from the field. Uh, And it turns out not to be enough for him. So Cain assumes his own achievements will merit God's blessing. But Abel, on the other hand, trusts in the blood for sacrifice, So there are still two ways to come to God. You can come by your own terms or you come on God's terms. Abel came on God's terms and offered what was required. Cain relied on what he figured and he came on his own terms and it was rejected. So as a result, Cain, you guys see this, was very angry and his countenance fell. So God saw Cain was upset. He was depressed So we're told in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, you will be accepted. And if you do not well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now the NIV renders it sin's crouching at 
your door. You guys ever feel like that? It's right there, okay? Sin's like a wild animal. It just wants to pounce on its prey, okay? If not dealt with, sin will wreak havoc and destroy. You see, when Adam bombed in the Garden of Eden, the fallout, it's continuing to this day. Sin sets off a chain reaction that leads to death. Sin is destructive. You guys know sin causes more sin until disarmed. So how do you disarm the atom bomb? You confess your sin, guys. You got to get real about it. We have a sin problem. Confess it. Repent. You turn uh, from that sin and you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Not your own efforts. Your faith in Christ. You see, you get reclothed with his power, his strength, his righteousness. Verse 8, now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Again, sin causes more sin. Cain was prideful. He thought his best efforts were enough to please God Almighty. Thus, when his offerings rejected, his pride was wounded. You guys ever get your pride wounded? Yeah, and how often does that lead to more sin? Yeah, this is what happens, guys. Cain grew jealous of his brother, and in that rage, what did he do? I hate you. I kill you. So then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the right answer for Cain and for us is yes. You guys know that we should care about one another? That's the way God's created us. Absolutely. And God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother cries out to me from the ground. So that cried what? Vengeance. Okay? So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. So Cain shows no repentance here. He's only sorry for himself. Big difference. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Do you guys know that in ancient times, avenging uh, brother's death, um, it dates back all the way to Genesis here. That's where it comes from. Uh, everyone alive at that time, think about it, were Abel's little brothers. Do you guys understand why Cain maybe was tripping the way he was? Okay, Cain has nowhere to hide. And then in verse 15, God spares his life. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So here's the first tattoo, and it's supposed to you know, save Cain, right? Um, but the rest of his life, guys, he's going to roam, we're told, on earth as a marked man. Then Cain, we're told, went out from the presence of the Lord. Um, so this is an ominous expression. 
Cain bolted from God here, and we know Cain's errors, they develop a society apart from God. Okay? Fathers, you are leading by example. Okay? What example do we set? See, Cain came out from God and dwelt, we're told, in the land of where? Nod. Okay? Out the east of Eden. So notice when you leave the presence of the Lord, you will nod off and fall asleep spiritually. Do you guys see that there? That's what happens. So you become vulnerable to danger and you enter the land of Nod. So here's what happened to Cain. Verse 12 tells us that God cuts, uh, say that green thumb off, right? To so to speak of, he loses the ability to farm. He's going to live the rest of his life. He becomes a vagabond. We're told in the New Testament, Hebrews 10, 7, that the volume of the book is written about me. It's written about who, guys? Jesus, right? So in other words, we need to look closely when we're reading the scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter where you are. The volume of the book is about him, and we should be able to see Jesus on every page. And here's a great example. Abel was a shepherd, He offered a lamb accepted by God. He was hated without cause, and he was killed by his brother. He died violently, and his blood cries out from the ground. Who does that sound like? Jesus. And if Abel is a type of Jesus, who do you think Cain typifies? Us, the Jewish people? Think about it for a second. They trust in their own righteousness, right? Okay, but rejected by God. They become jealous of Jesus and they kill him. They're made fugitives on the earth and everywhere they've been for the last 2,000 years, people hate them. It's going on today, guys. And with Cain, those who hurt Jews will receive a sevenfold vengeance. So before Jesus returns, there will be seven years of great tribulation on the world, okay? And the Jews, as they've been persecuted, and during that time, guess who gets the mark? Just like Cain, 144,000 will receive a protective mark on their forehead. I think that's pretty amazing, guys. Verse 17, and Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And here's the question Bible skeptics love to ask, or my son Phineas. Where did Cain get his wife, Dad? (laughs) I really don't know, okay, what causes so much distress about that. Obviously, Cain married a sister. Tradition, if you read, uh, tells us that Adam and Eve had 33 sons and 27 daughters. So if you start with 27 couples and each had six kids within 100 years, guys, there's a population of 40,000 people. Okay, do the math. It grows pretty quick. Cain had plenty of women from which to choose. So it seems that marriage between brothers and sisters, it was not intrinsically evil. Okay? It was prohibited in the law of Moses out of necessity because at that time the human gene pool uh, had weakened. And for reasons, health reasons, God prohibited the practice. We just don't do that anymore. But in the beginning, the descendants of Adam and Eve, they were free to marry. So when we look at Genesis 4, 5, 6, um, I think this is a very valuable section of Scripture for you and I as believers um, because it gives us uh, one picture of, of 
earth, what things were like before the flood happened, okay? And the tracks, the development of two families here, the family of Cain, which is worldly, okay, carnal clan, we can call them, and then the family of Adam's son, Seth, and they were a faithful family. So Cain's family list, let's look at this first, because it's first here in Genesis, and Cain built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So uh, it, since God no longer allowed Cain to work the earth, he built a city here. Uh, he became the first urbanite, let's say, or city dweller. Cain became the first businessman uh, bartering for food rather than to grow the crops. Verse 18 tells us that Enoch uh, was born... Irad, which means wild man, okay? And that's normally what people think of themselves when they say Irad, okay? They're a little wild. Uh, and, uh, sorry, <laughs> Irad be God, <laughs> J-L, uh, which means blot out the name of God. Think about that. This is just a carnal cry, tribe, right? Um, that's just an evil thought. Blot out the name of God, really? Who's going to name your kid that oh jail begot uh methusael uh who's or it means this those who are of god are dead so do you guys notice that the names are increasingly just getting more evil you know and that's what happens fathers how are you leading your families verse 18 and methusael begot lamech and then lamech took for himself two wives. Oops. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. So one wife wasn't enough for Lamech. He thought, hey, I'm, you know, too much of a man. I need a couple wives, <laughs> you know. Um, I don't know what, but the reality is he was the originator of polygamy. Now, Lamech was guilty of this serious sin, he was the first person to tamper with God's rules concerning sex in marriage. In the name Lamech, Lamech means bringing low. Okay? And that's what we've seen when we consider marriage and sexuality in our day. Okay? It's lost any value. It's been brought low. Um, yeah. So... And that's what Lamech did uh, to the human race in engaging in polygamy. Look at verse 20. In Adab or Jabal, Lamech uh, had uh, three sons, Jabal, Ju Jubal, and Tubal-Cain. All three names come from the root word, which means to produce or invent. So Lamech's sons represent an age of technological advancements. Uh, we're told here, Jabal... Uh, was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So he was the first cowboy, okay, um, cattle rancher. His brother's name was Jubal, and he, he was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute, so the first musician. And as for Zillah, she bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron, the first metal worker, okay, so... The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. So guys, evolutionary propaganda that's out there assumes that ancients uh, were primitive people and gradually advanced in knowledge and knowing how to do things, but that's not so. Don't buy into those lies. Jesus says in Luke 17, 26, 
as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. You see, Jesus is going to be returning, and things are going to be characterized to the days of Noah. What was it like then? Well, there was tremendous technological advances going on, and we see the same thing happening today. Um, And we definitely see people who are of extreme arrogance and defiance to God. So lots happening, just like the days of Noah, right? Uh, Look at verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son named Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. So the word Seth means appointed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and his name was Enosh. So uh, that means dedicated. And we're told the men began to call on the name of the Lord. Isn't it cool when you see people starting to call on the Lord? This is a beautiful thing. So with Seth, revival occurred. So over the next 1,500 years of human history, God will use Seth and his descendants as a witness to the truth in an increasingly wicked world. In fact, chapter 5 shifts to the family of Seth in his genealogy. Look at verse 1 here uh, with his father Adam. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, and he created them male and female, and he blessed them, and he called them mankind. And in the days they were created, and Adam lived 130 years, and he begot a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. So notice the digression here. Adam bore the image of who? God. And Adam's son, Seth, bore Adam's image. So marred a distorted version of what man was originally intended to be. So after he begot Seth, we're told the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters, and all the days of Adam He lived for 930 years, and he died. So this was not God's original plan for Adam. Uh, He could have lived forever, but God told him uh, if he ate of the forbidden fruit, he would surely die. Okay, God wasn't joking around. Um, The wages of sin is death. God is not messing around. He's serious. Look at verse 6. Seth lived 105 years, and we got Enosh, and he begot Enosh, Seth lived or 807 years, and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. And after he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalel. And he begot Mahalel, and Canaan lived 840 years, and He had sons and daughters, and all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. And after he begot Jared, Mahalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalel were 895, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Did you guys notice the repetition here from Adam to Jared over and over the same phrase? And he died. Did you guys catch that? Like father, like son, all Adam's kin share in sin, and in the end, they die. Every one of us are going to die. 
So there's one exception. Did you guys catch it? Verse 18, Enoch, right? He lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. So it's implied here, guys, that Enoch didn't walk with the Lord until he had kids. How many of you guys got right with the Lord after you had kids? Here's a little bit of responsibility. I have children to raise now. God help, right? We get right with him. Uh, But I think it's so cool. Um, Enoch, okay, isn't the last man who's going to seek God after becoming a father here. We see Enoch, um, very unique, because we're told in verse 24, check it out, he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him, okay? We should desire to walk with God so intimately that our hearts would be more in tune with heaven than they are on earth, okay? This isn't our home. We're exhorted to set our minds on where? Things above, okay? If we're walking with Jesus, guess where reality is going to be, okay? On eternal things. Um, so Enoch means dedicated. And he walked so close to God that God's, you know, did some kind of little rapture with him, right? Hey, you're coming home with me. <laughs> um, so in fact, guys, you guys can jot down Jude 14. It explains how much Enoch knew God and his plans, Jude 14 tells us that Enoch was a prophet in what he prophesied. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all. So Enoch, the seventh from Adam, but he already was proclaiming the second coming of Jesus Christ. Wow. Isn't that cool, guys? I think that's rad. Uh, Look at verse 25. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. And after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years, and he got sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. So you've heard the phrase, as old as Methuselah. That's where it comes from, guys. Old dude, oldest recorded human being of all time. Um, So it becomes more than an answer and a trivia question when you realize that as his father Enoch was a prophet, the son of Methuselah, was a prophecy. You see, Methuselah was God's prophetic timepiece. His name means when he dies, it will be sent. And what happened in the year that he died? The flood came, okay? Um, And of course, this highlights God's patience and mercy. When God ties a coming judgment to a particular lifespan, he chooses the longest life ever lived. So obviously, he doesn't like to judge. He desires uh, that we repent and that we'll be saved. He desires that. And something I caught this last week that's really cool, Methuselah was an old dude. He was alive during Grandpa Adam, okay, 969 years. And he also was alive. Noah would have known Grandpa Methuselah. So these stories, while this stuff has been handed down, the stories would have changed over that time. No. Adam could have told Methuselah, what's up? And Methuselah could have told Noah, what's up? I think that's pretty cool, isn't it? Anyways, um, notice too, guys, there are three groups of people alive at the time of the flood. We have the wicked, and they're the ones that drown in the flood. Okay, And then we have Noah's family, who's protected in the midst of the storm. Okay, And then we have Enoch, who's taken to heaven prior to that judgment. I want us to note together the typology here. 
the next time the earth's going to be judged by God, okay, at the end of the age during the great tribulation, okay, there seems to be three people groups that are represented. The wicked are the ones who are going to be judged. And then we have the Jews during the tribulation. Um, like Noah, they're going to be protected by God during that time. And then we have the church, like Enoch. Guess what? We get to go to be with him raptured uh, before judgment comes down. Kind of a cool picture, huh? Yeah. Isn't the word of God so cool? I love it. Anyways, Seth's genealogy here continues for us in verse 28. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son and called his name Noah, saying, this one will comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. So the name of Noah means comfort or rest. So after he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So excluding Enoch, the average age of men in chapter 5 is 908 years. Whew! You know, I'm in my early 40s, and I'm ready to go home. (laughs) These guys, that's a long time. And some of these old dudes, uh, they were still having children. Think about this, hundreds of years old. And we're told in verse 32, you know, Noah seared sons at 500 also, they all birthed sons and daughters, multiples. So now, how many kids could there have been? Okay, if you're making babies for 500 years, uh, this is why I believe the earth was populated as much, if not more, you know, than today. The population would just been unthinkable. And of course, guys, the question is, on your mind, how do people live 900 years old? Like, how is that even possible? I'm glad you guys asked. Remember back to chapter 1, verse 7, God divided the waters below and the sky waters above. And we have some scholars that believe that the water above referred to simple water canopy or vapor um, that contained, uh, you know, in the atmosphere, like a barrier there. Um, We're told in the oldest book of the Bible, and you guys know what that is? Job. It seems to speak of the canopy. It says in Job 38, 9, God says, When I made the clouds its garment, in the thick darkness its swaddling band. Um, the latest theories on the aging point uh, that we have to the sun, that's the culprit. That's why we're dying as quickly as we are. Theoretically, the human body should be able to rejuvenate itself indefinitely. Uh, but around 25 years of age, guess what? We start falling apart. So you guys who are 24, get ready. It happens quick. (laughs) Uh, Some scientists believe that that solar radiation sends a false signal to our DNA that triggers the aging process. But if this canopy that was shrouded or shield us from those harmful radiation, it would explain these long ages. Uh, In addition, guys, with that vapor canopy, the Anatoluvian pre-flood world would be a virtual paradise. Global temperatures would be consistent, 72 degrees, most wonderful. Um, You think about storms, even rain, they would be non-existent since hot air would not be colliding with cooler air. 
the world before the flood would be some subtropical paradise, lush with vegetation from pole to pole. The earth was really a colossal greenhouse. That's what it was like. And it's interesting that all around the world, guys, impressive evidence for this. Do you guys know that they have fossilized palm trees? Um, they've been found in the Arctic Circle. How did they get there? Think about it, guys. In Siberia, we found these woolly mammoths. Um, they have tropical vegetation that was found in their mouths. So which brings up another question. What happened to the dinosaurs? I'm so glad you guys asked. I personally believe that dinosaurs were among the animals on the ark. Hey, I got a picture. The ark was big. Did you guys know that? Big ark. Um, that's inside. Like, it was it's just massive. Uh, this is what I want to show you. They had a bunch of these, okay? The Ark Encounter down in Kentucky there. We just went a few months ago with my family. But they had all these cages and all these different dinosaurs that could have been housed. It would have been no problem for Noah to house all those animals and dinosaurs too. So I personally believe that dinosaurs were part of the animals that were on the Ark at that time. Uh, they lived in the antediluvian world, and they were contemporaries of man. Guys, you know how many caves we found where people drew pictures of dinosaurs? Where would they have gotten a picture of a dinosaur, okay? Um, so, in fact, the Bible describes two animals that sound like dinosaurs. You guys can read about them yourselves in Job 40 and 41. I believe Noah carried two of every kind of those dinosaurs on board of the ark and think about it did the dinosaurs have to be adults they could have been juveniles they could have been eggs <laughs> it could have happened easily more than enough room um, so the extinction of dinosaurs occurred shortly after exiting the ark you see the collapse of the vapor canopy all the rain for 40 days and 40 nights where did that come from okay it all came crashing down that collapse, the upheaval of the flood, it really changed everything when it comes to the Earth's atmosphere, our climate. The dinosaurs could not, uh, you know, any longer survive in this post-flood uh, ecosystem. So when it comes to chapter 6, guys, uh, describes the, the perversion that I believe destroyed this antediluvian world. Okay, let's take a look. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the Earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for indeed, uh, for he is indeed flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. So I want us to understand, guys, God is omnipotent, okay? He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. At all, guys. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But God is not omnipatient. His long-suffering will come to an end. He will judge. God issues countdowns in 120 years until D-Day. So the time Noah needed to build an ark. Uh, so let me admit that these verses give rise to two different interpretations uh, some see that verse 2, the sons of God, as a lineage of Seth, intermarrying with the daughters of men, um, of the family of Cain. They believe the godly line of Seth was compromised and began 
to become pagan, taking pagan wives and such. But this doesn't explain God's motivation for wiping out the whole earth, okay? Nor the description of the offspring that we read about here in verse 4. Check it out. Uh, We're told there were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, and when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So this is why I believe there's more here um, going on than, uh, than you know, believers marrying unbelievers, let's say. Uh, I've seen many mixed marriages, but I've never seen them birth a giant. I, I'm still waiting. It doesn't happen, okay? So when it talks here, this phrase, sons of God, the Hebrew is ben Elohim. Uh, it's a phrase that we find four times in the Old Testament uh, each time it's referring to angels, okay? So Jude 6 speaks of the angels who did not keep their proper domain, okay, Jude 6. Uh, I believe the sons of God in Genesis 6 here uh, are those angels. A perversion of the human race took place in this antediluvian world. Fallen angels uh, materialized in human and they impregnated women, producing this distorted race uh, of these humanoids um, and they were, they were freaks of nature. They became, it became common on the earth. Verse 4 calls them giants, which is translated in the Hebrew, uh, Nephilim. How many of you guys have heard Nephilim before? Okay, giants, um, which means fallen ones. Nephilim, fallen ones. So uh, I think giant or Satan attempts to contaminate the human gene pool. I think that's what he was up to here. Let's mess it up. Um, and that's why I think the judgment... Of, of man came. Uh, God destroys the earth with water and he wipes out the entire population, uh, all people, uh, but eight of them, okay? Uh, because it was the only way, I think, to save the human race at this point. And it's very interesting if you think about ancient cultures, uh, myths about demigods that are out there, um, and all these myths, I mean, it's, it's crazy. All these stories that we hear of, they stem back to Genesis 6 here. And if we notice too, in verse 4, it says the giants of Noah's day also, and also afterwards. Uh, so later when Hebrew spies, you guys remember when they went into the land of Canaan, what were they seeing? Giants, Nephilim, okay? Remember too, David's famous appointment with a, a giant by the name of Goliath, okay? So here's uh, Hebrew tradition. Uh, there's extra biblical texts. Enoch is one of them. Uh, we have these fallen angels. They were identified as ones who taught humanity the evils of black magic. If you read Enoch, that's what they were doing. So the science of war and weaponry are all laid out in the book of Enoch. And how to abort babies is there. I mean, just wickedness, guys. It's also interesting that the subject here in Genesis 6, um, it's kind of, kind, of, kind of become like a Hollywood favorite. Wouldn't you guys agree? But the stuff's demonic. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, in the occult, the highest experience possible is to have sex with a demon. And they call those a moon child. Um, anyways, let's move on. It's demonic. Just don't mess with it. <laughs> Verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. 
Remember the word grieve uh, is not a love word, okay? You can, you can anger anyone, but you only can grieve over someone who's loved. Does that make sense? There's a difference there. And then verse 7, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I made them. So after the flood here, guys, God promises never again to destroy the earth with water, uh, but he doesn't promise not to destroy the earth again. In fact, the Bible predicts that God will bring judgment upon the earth a second time. The first was judgment with water. The second time it's going to be with what? With fire, right? Um, But Noah, I love this, guys. Um, Side note, I don't think that judgment is probably that far off. Okay? Yeah. If we study the scriptures, we know the prophecies. We're living in the last days. You know, do we have the rest of this day? I have no idea. You know, do we have another decade or two? I don't know, you know. Um, But what I do love is that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I hope you guys have that underlined in your Bible. The genealogy of Noah here, uh, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. So we're also told that Noah walked with God. So Noah was a man who loved the Lord. Uh, he described an intimacy of God. We read in Hebrews eleven seven. It also describes him as a man of faith, a preacher of righteousness. Uh, verse ten says, "And Noah begot three sons: Shem, Ham, and Japheth." So these four men, along with their four wives, Noah and his families, are a nucleus from which God will start over with man and repopulate the earth. Did you guys see that article I posted in our group this last week? The Y chromosome dating back about 4,500 years. So the first peeps were right around the time of Noah. Oh, go figure. That's, that's what science is. You don't have to believe science, but it, it's fun when science actually catches up with what the Word of God says. I love it. So on, the, on another interesting point, uh, the 10 men mentioned in Genesis 5 from Adam to Noah, all but Noah, uh, they were contemporaries of Adam. So the first man lived 930 years, and he didn't die until Noah's dad, Lamech, 56 years old. I think that's just so cool. Thus, uh, rather than the creation story needing to be passed down, um, it, it's legit here. Uh, look here, these three sons, um, verse 11, the earth was also corrupted before God, and the earth was filled with violence. You guys remember the boast of the other Lamech, Cain's kid, uh, who killed a man? He promised to take vengeance 77-fold, right? Okay, so he, had, he, was, he was one example of his violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So wickedness uh, and perversion, they were rampant. And we're told here, God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And then verse 14, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms or cubicles in the ark and cover the inside and the outside with pitch, which would make it waterproof. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 30 or 300 cubits, and it's width 50 cubits, and it's height 30 cubits. Um, So a cubit is the distance from the king's uh, elbow to his fingertips, right? So 
Uh, it's usually 18 inches is how we look at it. So that would make the arc 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. And then God's instructions continue here in verse 16. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it a cubit from above, and set a door of the ark on its side, and you shall make the lower, second, and third decks. You guys know prior to 1858, Noah's ark was the largest seagoing vessel that's ever been. Okay, The three decks provided over 100,000 square feet. So cool. I love going to the ark encounter. You get in there, and you're just blown away. Like, seriously? This thing is huge. I mean, the picture does no justice. It's just unreal. Uh, so think about that, guys. Imagine sitting on a railroad crossing watching a train pass with 522 livestock cars. That's what they could easily pack into the ark. Okay, each packed with 240 sheep each. Okay, the ark's capacity would be 125,280 sheep. And it's big, guys. The 6 to 1 ratio, the length, the width, is the modern-day uh, shipbuilding standards. God gave the, the best dimensions that we've come up with how many thousand years later. That's what they're using, exactly the same. Um, the ark couldn't capsize either. I mean, it was made to withstand that type of storm. The ark was also constructed with a window at the top, 18 inches high, which many scholars believe uh, ran the length of the ship. Thus, it provided fresh air and much-needed ventilation because let me tell you what, all those animals would stink, right? Um, also, uh, this is why it's been said, the church is like Noah's Ark. At times, it may stink inside, but it beats the alternative. I like that. The church is far from a perfect place. You guys know that? Far from perfect. At times, it reeks, but it remains God's alternative to this wicked world. We are called to be in fellowship, to be set apart. So in verse 17, God says, Behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Guys, I want to note that this was not a local flood. It did cover the entire earth. Do not buy into the lie that you're taught in your public schools, not a local flood. And there's a tremendous evidence for a universal flood. Some of the world's tallest mountain peaks, the Himalayas, for example, have made cemetery you know, rock layers there. How can you do that without a flood, without water? Uh, oh, must have been a huge flood to get up that high, right? Um, when were they underwater? <laughs> well, Noah's flood. Uh, we've also found marine fossils, guys, on the peaks of some of the world's tallest mountains. Um, and we also understand that a global flood is the most um, validated event. Okay, All cultures, I mean, Mexican, Middle Eastern, Chinese, they all have an account of one family upon a boat, you know, worldwide flood. All of them. They don't always get it right. Okay, They don't always make, you know, make out to be exactly what the scriptures tell us. But they all have an account of a big flood. I think that's pretty cool. All right, let's wrap this up. Verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing and of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark, 
to keep them alive with you, and they shall be male and female. So only Noah and his three sons and their wives survived the flood, along with two of each kind of the animals, male and female. So it was male and female so they could repopulate the earth after the flood. Um, also notice Noah's, uh, Noah loads the ark in verse 20. God tells them this, of the birds after their kind and of the animals after their kind and the creeping things uh, of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. I think that's cool. Verse 21, And you shall take for yourself all the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it for yourself, and shall be food for you and for them. And verse 22 confirms Noah's obedience. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. I hope that you guys will follow God in that same exactness. So Father, this morning we ask of you, Lord, God, help us to trust, help us to obey uh, in all the things that you're asking, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it takes great faith. Lord, we want to we wanna trust, we want to follow you well. So please give us the grace to do so, and thank you for that grace um, that Noah found in your eyes, Lord. Um, that same grace has appeared before all men, Lord, and it teaches us, Father, just how much we've fallen, how much we've turned from you and run from you, God. We pray, Lord, that you would be grabbing many people's hearts, that many would be turning to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are that ark for us, that you will save us. Thank you so much. Amen. All right, you guys are loved. Love you guys. Have a great week. And praise the Lord, we did three chapters. Woohoo!